You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 24. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head over to www.codingblocks.net where you'll find all our social links at the top of the page. And with that, welcome to the Coding Box Podcast. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. <laughs> and, and I'm Michael Outlaw. That happened so fast. <laughs> yeah, I decided to like, you know, let mine draw out a little bit. <laughs> I'm messing with you guys. I should do it in a southern accent. I should have Alan say it for Wait, me. I don't have a southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome to the show. All right. Yeah. So uh, first up, we want to start a little bit uh, of news. Um, so first off, we want to thank you guys. Uh, we got some more reviews. Helium Field Stamp, Kick and Bach, and uh, Mackie Merg. We also recently discovered that uh, there's other reviews that we hadn't seen because they were on international versions of iTunes. Including <laughs> Not one just America. That uh, maybe compared Alan to a uh, former U.S. president. Uh, so that was uh, pretty awesome, and uh, so we're going to have to gather those names up and say thank you, uh, but we appreciate it. Yeah, and and just so you guys know, we're actually experiencing some of the woes of the Stitcher reviews. I don't know why, but they seem to intermittently work, and we got some great ones, but we can't mention them because we can't see them right now. Right. Uh, also, um want to do, uh, do a quick uh, update on our New Year's resolutions. Nah. No. <laughs> Wait, there was outlaws. All right, <laughs> so I'll give you well, guys. Well, I'm still waiting on Alan to do the course on it. <laughs> well, I've got even more depressing news. So I've been working on a, a roguelike uh, in, in C Sharp, just like a fun little game. And I, I just found today uh, this this guy, uh, the Stuff of Stuff blog that we've mentioned before. He did the really cool maze thing. He just open sourced his C Sharp roguelike like today. So uh, that's a big bummer. You so. backpedaling? You going to switch? Uh, I might. I mean, I'm sure his is way better than mine, so I'm going to have to find that out. But uh, thank you, Reddit, for uh, ruining my night. <laughs> so mine, I, you know, I, I started doing this Angular, uh, you know, course. And what I found was I was getting really frustrated because all the Angular stuff out there is just like, oh, you want to show, like, I don't know, some pictures of phones. Like, they have this phone cat example. And, and it's like... Man, that's not real world stuff. I want things that people actually deal with. Logins. Man, and, you know how many people use phones? Right, right. Um, but you know, I, I wanted to get a little bit deeper, so I started, you know, looking at all right, well, we need a login system. Okay, well now that you have a login system, how do you log down portions of the UI and Oh my god. And so yeah, it was a rabbit hole, right? So I started going further and further and, and I Come think back that's out what, of the hole right there, Alice. No, I don't think so. I think I think that this is actually valuable. So the, I think the course that I'm going to be putting together is actually going to be a combination of, and this is what it really looks like. It sounds like work. it's going to be a full-fledged authentication permission role <laughs> system, plus there might it. be some you JavaScript and Angular sprinkled in there. You got it. <laughs> it's a little bit of everything. Hey, good summary. So, um, so yeah, I'm I, actually going down that way, and I've made some progress. I've actually made some decent progress. But, but the real question, though, is, uh, is it Angular 2? You know, you know what? That's that's really frustrating. And I might switch gears because there was big news that came out that we should discuss. We didn't even have in the show notes. That's right. Oh, I threw a bomb in there. Angular two is actually being built with TypeScript. What? Yeah. 
Um, we'll have to we'll leave well, a link in the show notes for that. But so little joint venture there between uh, Microsoft and Google. I mean, seriously, if anybody out there has a Windows phone, uh, which I had done about a year or two, <laughs> all so five ago, of you. I mean, dude, it was ridiculous. You couldn't get YouTube on your phone because Microsoft and Google were battling back well, and forth. I don't forth. think that war has stopped. No, it hasn't. But that's what's really weird. Like, they are literally working together on Angular 2.0, and it's being built with TypeScript. So that's really cool stuff. So when they release the developer tools for that, I may actually switch over and play with that. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Yep. Uh, also, I uh, wanted to mention this week uh, we are doing a book giveaway uh, yes, please. Yes, uh, the book that we're giving away is uh, a book that we've talked about quite a bit. It's the uh, Design Patterns book, uh, The Gang of Four. Oh, I've heard of this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's an older book. It's, in, uh, it's a great book. And so what we're talking about doing is basically if you come by the website and leave a comment on this, this episode, which is www.codingblocks.net slash episode 24, just drop a comment in there, uh, say something, and uh, one of you will uh, randomly win this book. Now, wait a minute. How, how do I know that this book is of any kind of value, right? Is this like you know the 18th printing of this book? No, I think there's only uh, one edition ever. I think we talked about that last time, right? Ah, and, and just to just to be clear, this thing looks pristine. Like this, this looks does like not, he's never read it. Yeah, I, I don't think he's <laughs> ever opened it. <laughs> so yes, he, he spent fifty dollars, and it could be yours. That's right. <laughs> so um, no, nah, the book's so, in great shape. <laughs> so we're giving away Joe's money. <laughs> uh, yeah, here today on the podcast. Yes, that's how much we love you guys. So so how do you get the book? Uh, just drop a comment on www.codingblocks.net slash episode 24 for a chance to win. Yeah, tell us why you want it. What if Jack Bauer wins? And Jack Bauer wins. Chloe, get on the floor. <laughs> I need a port on the firewall open now. Send it over to my screen. Uh, Do you think awesome. Jack Bauer gives high fives? <laughs> what? <laughs> this is almost like a Chuck Norris question. <laughs> I don't think he does. Hey, well, wait. Hey, have you guys ever done that? You know, go to Google and type in find Chuck Norris. No. Uh, if you do that and then you hit I'm feeling lucky. Well, it used to be an I'm feeling lucky. It's not there anymore. Um, it, it's, a, it's a nice little Easter egg. Everybody should try it when they get home. All right. All right. So, anyways. Find all right. Chuck Norris. Okay. So, of course, I got to do this now. Like, I can't. Yeah. All right. So, let's do it. You can't, like, throw out something like that and then just tease it. All right, so find Chuck Norris. And then if you click on the uh, first link. You got to click on the first Man, link. Man, it's That's not a... there anymore. See, no, it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, someone captured it. All right, so so I, I, you can't tell. You can't. People have to experience this, man. But but then they're just going to hear us like randomly laughing, and they're not going to understand why. So they could go home and do this. All right. Here, fine. I'll tell you why I'm laughing. The suggestions. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> uh, well, no, I liked it. Even the the red error. Yeah. Message. Pretty nice. Let's just say. Okay. Fine. So as Alan said, go to Google. No. No. Can't do that. I'm giving them the instructions. Okay. All right. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, get go 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 to Google, find Chuck Norris, and like Alan said, click on the first link and then read from there. And and you gotta read the whole page. There's all kinds of things. Like <coughs> Read the read the left nav too. There's some good stuff there. Yeah. So, yep. all, all right. right. So uh, back to the lecture at hand. Yeah. Here we go. Wow. <laughs> so no uh, tangents here. Uh, we got a great Twitter question from Adrian Kappel, uh, who's at <coughs> Kappel Codes a lot, 
and uh, he asked us about good examples of delegates. And what I found when I was kind of like looking for one is that uh, politicians. I didn't really like oh. any of the examples, and I also couldn't explain it very well myself. So uh, that was kind of uh, the kicker for the show. <coughs> so, yes, we're talking about delegates today. All right. Everything you never wanted to know. I mean, always wanted to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I think it's worth noting we're mostly talking about C-sharp because what does Java not have? Delegates. Yes, we couldn't find them. Oh, this isn't JavaScript? JavaScript kind of has it. We'll get into that yeah, we'll later. Get to that. Mm-hmm. Dang All right. it. So uh, <laughs> I guess we just want to start off with like a high-level overview. Let's do it. Sure. All Why right, not? cool. So um, uh, if you haven't seen um, delegates before, it's, it is kind of hard to explain. And it's something a lot of newbie programmers kind of um, stumble on and uh, experts too. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It is complicated. There was this kind of long, weird history uh, and evolution. So a lot of things that you kind of Google for, you end up finding um, just older ways of doing things. And there's uh, you know these weird words like event and delegate. And um, you know a lot of times you'll see like generics in there. And it's just... It's just kind of weird, so hopefully we can kind of simplify things and um, focus on the simpler uh, way of explaining this, and uh, hopefully you guys will get something out of it. So um, I guess at a high level, uh, it's just uh, a type-safe function pointer, which really just means that you can pass methods around as parameters. So I can have a function that takes in another function and does things. And what that means is that uh, I can, uh, at runtime take in and execute different methods so well let's just say let's say let's put it like this let's say that you want to have a method that can that does some work and um if there's any kind of error maybe you want to allow the caller to pass in their own error handler that you can you can call right how's that yeah i like that Right, so th- this gives you the ability. This is a way for for <clears throat> that caller to be able to pass in their method, right? That you can then call, right? And you can uh, execute, and then you can handle the kind of uh, the problems that arise, just like you said. So absolutely, and also, um, delegates are a really big part of the .NET language or the um, the the CLR and C Sharp specifically. And uh, the reason for that is that they're really the core of .NET strategy for closures, callbacks, and events. And uh, they've got some really cool tie-ins and some things that we've already talked about, like uh, strategy design pattern and uh, observer design pattern, which you can read about in the book that we're giving away. So before we go past this, though, let's make sure that everybody actually understands when we talk about a closure. And I think we might have mentioned this in the previous episode, but a closure is when some method can actually access variables outside itself, right? So that's that's a big thing. So it doesn't have like its own defined scope that it can't reach outside of. Right. And I, I, we talked about this before the show a little bit. I think the best example, at least for this episode of a closure, uh, is just the for each, right? The the link for each, it takes in, you know, like a Lambda expression, which is just a delegate, and it can access variables that are defined other places in that function, right? Yeah. And when he's talking about for each, he's not talking about actually when you say for each and then var whatever in something. He's right. talking about the actual link statement where you have a collection and you say dot for each. Yep. Another example would be like the where or any of those you know dot whatever extensions that take the uh, the funky little X arrow stuff. Those are all examples of delegates and they're all examples of things that can kind of reach out to the parent scope to draw things back in that get executed in the context of that uh, method call there. 
Yep. And then when he talked about callbacks, we actually also discussed this because I wanted to know where he was when we were talking about it. So the callback, basically what he's saying is when you call a, a particular method, as one of the parameters that you are calling in that method, you are passing in the function that you want that method to then execute when it's done doing something. So a callback is usually, hey, after you're done doing some arbitrary chunk of code, run this other method that I want you to run at the end of it. So that's, you see it all the time in JavaScript. Um, and so that's great what for talking. async, right? Yep. Perfect for async because, you know, when something's done with the server, whether it succeeded, failed, whatever, you want it to run some piece of code to, to carry on the next step. And then the events, uh, you want, somebody want to take that one? I guess not. <laughs> no. Okay, nobody we'll was prepared for that one. Yeah. Events are, are kind of interesting because they, they allow for uh, easy extension of classes without, um, or extensions of behavior without actually having to subclass. So if you've ever seen things like um, methods like on before save and on after save or on before render, on after render. On button click. On yeah. button click. Yep, things like that. So those are all th- um, basically these kind of hooks where you can hook in additional behaviors and um, you know do things without actually having to subclass. And, and that's really useful because a lot of times you don't even necessarily know all the things when you're designing these classes that you want them to do and you want people to be able to kind of extend that behavior without mucking around with your stuff. Yep. So I just want to make sure we cleared up what we were talking about there. So uh, now we can move on. Yep. And uh, really a a big part of this too is uh, it's the the real heart of Link. And I think it's like a key part of the kind of C-sharp's awesomeness. um, Because delegates predate Link though. They do. They do. But they are a necessary component. So there would be no Link without delegates. And there's no Link in Java. So not really anyway. But... (laughs) Anyway, just think it's awesome. Well, we're going to dive more into this later. Um, also, I wrote, I wrote down here in my notes that it's ex- expressive and dynamic functionality in a dynamic world. And so, what that means is it just, you know, it lets you kind of treat in a these static methods. World, you said yeah. yes, in a static world, which yes. is the best world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you said dynamic, but you meant static. Yes. Uh, expressive and dynamic functionality in a static world. There we go. Yeah. All right. And what I mean by that is, um, you're basically taking in a variable that points to a method. And it can be different things at different times. And uh, so that's just really powerful and easy to read, too. And uh, the last note I had here, um, we actually kind of mentioned this, but it allows for easy uh, and controlled extensions. So you can kind of add these little hooks like on before something, on after something. And um, what's really cool about that and ties into uh, episode seven where we talked about the solid principles is um, this is a great example of the open-close principle where um, your objects, if you... You know, you seal them up, but still have these extension points, these events. Then you are, by definition, open for modification. Uh, oh, sorry, open for extension, but closed for modification. So you can't change my behaviors, but you can extend them, which is really cool. Yep. Yet another way to implement the template pattern. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's dig into these delegates. All right. So we've already said that they were they were type safe function pointers, but do we really go into like why we need that? I don't no, think so. Not yet. So uh let's see, what would be a good well I I mentioned the example of like if you wanted to have a handler uh in you know, if an you want to have like handler. an error handler uh to be called 
right? You need to be able to pass in that pointer and you need to be able to pass in that method. But it, like without a method pointer, without the ability to point to that method, right? This is, oh God, this is a horrible explanation. So, <laughs> <laughs> and this well, is part of the problem is that delegates are definitely hard to explain. Well, here, here's, here's an easy one, right? Like let's say that you have something that, it, and, and we'll see later, and I think Outlaw even put together an example of an addition type delegate, right? Let's say that you have some sort of UI that that has the ability to take in two numbers. And then let's say that you have three buttons that say one's add, one's multiply, and one's divide, right? So now what you do is based on whatever button click happens, you're going to pass in one of your methods. You might have three methods. One's going to be multiply numbers, another one's going to be add numbers, another one's going to be divide numbers, right? So you could then take, you might have those, and you could pass them into a method based off what the button click was, right? So you have some math class out there that, that you're going to call and you're going to pass these things that have the signature of int int with a return int, right? So now you can say, hey, they clicked add. I want to pass in my add method. But the only thing it cares about is that the signature is correct, right? It has a number, a number, and it's going to return a number. So that's one way with what we're talking about is the type safety of it, and that's why it matters, is because all it cares about is the signature. As long as you pass it a method in through that, the the pointer is going to work. Um, yep, and the person who built that button, they had no clue what you were going to be using it for, right? They just had, you know, they knew that when it clicked that they needed to do something that you instructed them to do. Well, more importantly, they didn't know how you wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. They just know what they wanted back. Mm-hmm. Right. They knew, like, hey, they're gonna, you're going to need to pass in a couple, a couple of values here. Right. Let's say in the ad example, right, you're going to need to pass in a couple of integers and I'm going to expect back an integer. I don't care how you get there. Yep. And uh, also um, with this example, it's a great example. I wanted to mention um, the kind of the other part of the definition there, which is um, these are type safe function pointers with a built in iterator. And so what that means is in this button example, um, you know, unbeknownst to Alan, I could take his library and add sounds to it. And so when you click that multiply, not only does it run the event that he expects, but I can also play a certain sound effect for multiplication and a different one for add. And these are things that uh, I don't have to touch his code at all. I can just kind of extend that behavior. And this built-in iterator knows how to go through and call each event that it needs to call. Yeah, respond to. That's that's actually one of the cool things. So, um, so I'll take it so one now step. We're kind of jumping ahead into multicast <clears throat> delegates, though, right? It is multicast delegates, and so that's kind of one of the cool things, right? Like, let's say instead of instead of the example where I said you had three buttons: add, multiply, and divide. Let's say instead you had one button, but you had checkboxes next to each one that you wanted to happen, right? So you had a checkbox next to add, checkbox next to multiply, and then one by divide. What you could do then when you hit that button, you click it, behind the scenes it's going to say, hey, add the add method to my event handler. Now add the multiply and now add the divide. And then that way when that fires off, it will you know, sequentially go through them in the order that they were added. I guess though, like, and maybe this is just my own thinking though, because when I think of callbacks versus events, I typically don't think of callbacks as there being many of them, right? Right. Like, like events, I definitely think, hey, there could be multiple uh, handlers that are going to get uh, invoked, right? Uh, so multicast delegate. But in the case of a callback, I'm typically thinking, hey, there's going to be one method that's coming back. Correct. So. Um, yeah, that's yeah, an important distinction. It's really hard to talk about delegates without talking about events, but events are really like a special type of delegate. 
And so I wanted to give a quick, quick example of a delegate that uh, isn't an event. And basically, uh, that ties into the strategy pattern. And uh, the example I've got here is like a, if you wrote like a chess simulator, and your chess game might take uh, any number of different strategies. It might be the, you know, the Bobby Fischer bot or the Kaspersky bot or just something that makes random moves. So, you know, totally taking the UI out of the situation, when I create this game, I could pass it basically an algorithm to use. And one way of doing that would be to have a, you know, a delegate that takes in the board and returns a move, right? And then I could basically pass in, uh, you know, a method that knows how to do that, and I could swap that method out of runtime based on what the player selects. It sounds like we're going to apply this to like every pattern so far. Yeah, we've really, already said strategy. We've talked about open close. I mentioned template. Template. Yep. Uh, the mediator pattern also comes into play. Oh, um, we mentioned observers. <clears throat> so the the key thing that everybody needs to understand is all it really is is when we say it's a pointer, you define this delegate thing right, and you t- you give it a method and you say run this. So, like, you know, D1, we'll call it the delegate, right? You pass in the method add. Well, you're actually going to say D1, open, close, paren, and it's going to run that add method you gave to it. So just to clarify so that you understand. So when you're passing these things in that we were talking about earlier, you're literally passing the delegate. It looks like a variable, but really what you're doing is you're passing a reference to that method that can just be executed. So... Oh. It's like variable methods. It's, variables that's, exactly, methods. that's exactly what so, it is. So, so let me be a little bit more vo- verbose then. So let's say, going back to the calculator example that you brought up, <clears throat> right? So let's say that we had a delegate with a signature of uh, int, and let's just, we'll call it an ad handler, and it takes in two ints. So it returns an int, but it takes in two ints. And in your variable example, so you create some var uh and we'll call it Adam, and uh, then you you would have some handler that uh, already implements a method with this signature, so you, you could then create a new add handler and pass in the method that implements uh, that, um, uh, well, I don't want to say interface, but uh, yeah. It's the signature. Well, that I mean, signature, thank you. So signature if you, if you had exactly what you said, so <laughs> let's think about it. Let's break it out into its pieces then in the simplest scenario, right? The very first thing that you might have is you might have an addition method. So you're going to have a public int addition, open paren, int number one, comma, int number two, right? A public delicate int. Oh, no, wait, no, no. Defi- this is the method. This is oh, the okay, method sorry. we're defining, right? So this is your thing that does it. And that's that's the signature. So it it returns an int because we said public int. And then the two parameters inside were int1 and int2, right? Okay. So that's what we've got. And then going back to your delegate, take it from there, how you would set up your delegate. Oh, so then you'd say the delegate signature would be public delegate int and add handler uh, and then in parentheses int x int y. Yep. And then, so what you did is you just lined up the two signatures of those. That delegate signature now matches the method signature. But the thing is, though, so th- just to be clear, though, uh, going, kind of going back to Joe's multicast example, is there could be multiple methods that all implement that same signature yep. that could be uh, uh, assigned to this delegate. Correct. So your delegate would be something more generic. And then if you had a multiply... Or I should say, not to the variable, not to the delegate. It's to, the whole signature is what you care about, right? Because then you could do the multiply one like we talked about earlier. You'd have public int multiply, 
and then you know int one and int two inside the signature and then that way you could pass either addition or multiply in there it doesn't care because they have the same signature and whatever is going to execute that on the other end it doesn't care it just knows what the signatures are but it but it kind of looks weird though like if if in that variable example because then you just see like hey i created some variable and like in my example i called it adam right and now i'm going to say adam and oh, then yeah. parentheses you know, three comma five. Yeah, you might right? call a delegate something like so. So it looks kind of weird because now, now it's a variable, but instead of accessing it like you would every other variable that you've ever used, right? Instead, you're gonna you know throw some parentheses on it and you know do stuff. Yeah. You know, you're pass pass in values. Yep. Yep, and there's some really cool C uh, C sharp compiler tricks that uh, enable that to happen, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But there's definitely some sugary magic going on there. All right, so we already covered the callbacks, the closures. Um, did we hit this part here? Yeah, I think we, about yeah, we've already talked about it being a big part of Link. Yep, and I uh, just wanted to mention there again with Link, um, a big part of um, what we kind of think of as Link is being basically built around anonymous methods, which are in fact delegates. Um, when you think about that where clause example we gave, you know, you do the whole like X arrow, and then you need to do something that returns true or false. What's going on there in the background is that you've basically got a method there that takes in a type of T and returns a true or false. So it's that's all the information that you need in order to do that where clause. And you don't actually see that nasty delegate word. There's no handlers there. There's none of that weird stuff. It's just, uh, you know, a couple of crazy characters. All right. So um, I don't think we've talked about this. What are handlers? Uh, my brain explodes whenever I see the word handler. I never know if that's the one that does the work or like it's the one that kind of hands off the work. It handles the work. So it doesn't actually do it. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because the doing part of this whole thing is the event. The event does something or, or not, not the event. Whatever's being called does some things and then you fire off the event. You basically say, hey, I'm done, right? And then the handler is what takes over from there right so do we mention that delegates were just another class another object another type we haven't gotten into that yet because that's kind of key here which kind of like that really um would explain well what alan's talking about so like you know we've talked about objects um you know inheriting from system.object and that's what delegate is it's another type that inherits from that uh it gets translated to that uh at the one on compile well, I thought it actually inherited from system.object. So the delegate class does, but when you use that delegate keyword, see, it's getting pretty confusing. Uh, so the delegate okay. keyword does not define a class. Right. That just kind of uh, happens in the background. Um, and we do have a section coming up where we're going to kind of talk about like how this actually works underneath the covers. Um, and it's, it, this is such a hard thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, I see where you're going with it, though. But yeah, with the handler, basically, think of your on-click, right? Your button, the, probably the simplest state. So when, when you actually click the button, that fires off an event. That event is going to be click. Your handler is your on-click method that you created that says, hey, when this event gets raised, I now need to do something. So that's what your handler is. It's actually the method that is going to respond to some event that gets I guess the point raised. that I was trying to make, though, is that like, there's an object type that has some uh, list of methods to call and an order in which it plans to call them, right? And when you when you call that guy, that object is the one that is responsible for um, delegating who to call now. 
right? Okay, so that's a good way of remembering who the handler is. It's the guy who has the iterator, right? It's the guy who has who keeps that list. Um, that, that's the way I was trying to think of it, yes. Okay, it's the class that keeps that list. Okay, I like that. So, let's get into events. Yeah. Those are parties that or meetups right or, there we go yep oh <laughs> Places sorry and parties wrong kind of wrong kind of event yeah maybe land parties <laughs> uh, something that our listeners could probably uh associate with better uh yeah so uh so i guess the first part is we're going to talk about multicasting which we've already somewhat stepped on a little while ago yeah, but while we're here, whenever I think about events, I always end up thinking about the stupid null checking. And what that means is like when you got an event like um I was you know, I talked a little bit about the game I was working on, like I have an event for on player death and uh, I attach stuff like play a sound, play an animation, write some text to screen, throw up the start over dialogue, that sort of stuff. And those are all things that are attached to this event. But if none of those events are attached, if we imagine those not being there, and you try to say, you know, call this on player death, then you get a, you know, a null exception because that list doesn't exist without any items in it. That's where you could use maybe of T. Maybe of T, that's right. <laughs> so what ends up happening... I was happening, actually thinking of like an AOP. Uh, yeah. Well, what ends up happening here is because they don't use this null object pattern... Um, that which we talked about in other episodes is uh, every time you see something like on before render or you know some sort of on event like on load, there is always this stupid little like if on load is not equal to nil, then call on load with arguments, and so it just ends up being those extra couple lines there. Yeah, it's I guess that's how you know if you're dealing with a callback versus an event because. Yeah. In, the, in practice, it seems like it's always if it's an event, like you're always saying like. If uh, on button click is not null, yeah. then on button click, right? Yep. You know, uh, parentheses, parentheses, semicolon. Right? Would you ever really want a callback that was nullable, though? Well, I'm not saying that you. I'm not saying that you would. I'm not saying that you wouldn't also do it. But, but you I guess will what I'm saying is, like, in practice, though, because you expect that that callback is is being uh, provided, uh, maybe not. Yeah. I, I was thinking, like, you know, because you expect it's there, then it's. It's not uh, – it, it's it, – ah, forget it. Yeah, basically what what we're getting at here is even though you see an event handler defined, it doesn't mean you can just call it. You've, you've got to check to see if there's anything in it. And unfortunately, the way you hmm. do that is you say, hey, is it null, which Actually, doesn't make a lot of sense. Could but you pass in null as a parameter though? I guess you, you probably could. could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, you could. But you, you wouldn't typically make a it. practice do of that. Don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> you shouldn't, but – um, most classes are nullable by default, so yeah, you could. Right, and it's one of those things, like um, a lot of times you hear it's good practice to initialize your lists and classes, and that's so people don't have to check if something's null before they wear it because or you know do some sort of other event on it. So it's just really annoying to have those null checks everywhere, although I suppose it's safer and it shows that you're you know thinking defensively or some crap. You care. <laughs> All right. Ugh. So uh, the observer pattern. Yeah, we mentioned that these have a, a role with um, observers, and um, so this kind of ties into multicasting as well. But you can actually attach and detach these um, event handlers to the events that you're calling. So, like on that player death, you know, I've got the sound system um, listening for that event. I have the uh, the uh, the text writing class uh, listening to that system. I've got you know other stuff listening to that event, and so I can attach and detach those. 
And uh, when that event happens, then they can all kind of take the appropriate uh, action based on that. And that's that's basically the definition of the observer pattern, which we've talked about before. Yeah, and the beauty behind that is you're not you're not tightly coupling all those classes by doing that. You have something that that raises these events. And the only thing that these objects have to be aware of is whatever is raising that event. Yep. And so if I want to take this game into Unity and do some you know, crazy three, uh, 3D type stuff, I can do that. If I want to have it be a console game, I can do that too. And there's no sound playing or animations playing there. You know? So it's just a good way of keeping um, the class that's doing this stuff and you know, handling or not – got to watch those words – that's actually throwing the on-player death um, event. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to know anything about what's using that. Right. There's a nice separation there. And that's kind of your open-close principle that we just described again. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's some really gross stuff there, too, with um, event handlers. When I say event handler in this case, I literally mean there's a class called event handler that um, that you can kind of pass these delegates into. And this is very, like, C-sharp, kind of 1.0 type stuff. And it also ties into those... Um, I'm sure you've seen those if you're doing like on button clicks where it's like uh, it takes the arguments are an object and an event args and you always cast the object to something and you cast the event args and you try to do something with it. And for a long time, that was kind of like the standard and it's uh, all the all of those things all derive from this event handler class. And uh, it's definitely an old school way of doing things. And it's just gross to be doing this sort of casting and stuff. You know, you're losing the type safety that you get from, you know, using uh using delegates that's one of the the uh, strong points about it so uh, i'm not a big fan of this pattern and uh, it's definitely kind of been phased out i don't think so uh, a couple things with that i don't think we have anywhere in our notes where we talk about event handlers do we not further down i don't think um so a couple of things that are kind of interesting in the old like you mentioned in the 1.0 days you would have to define your delegate then you'd have to define your event handler and then you could you know start adding these things to them in the, I don't know what version they changed this in, but you can actually just define the event handler without actually defining the delegate, which is kind of interesting. So they, they kind of allowed you to skip a step because they're like, if you're using a handler, you have to have a delegate out there. Well, I guess it's important to say, too, like if you expect this to be multicast, then you should be doing plus equal. Yes. When you uh, don't do to whatever, whatever variable is going to represent the handler, uh, you should be plus equaling when you add additional. Um, methods into it yeah so to to further that and explain why so let's say that you have this i don't want to call it a global thing but let's say you have this parent event bus type thing that you've got that is raising these events and all that right if you have multiple classes out there that are responding to these events if you say that you know this event handler equals and then you give yours you just blew away all the other event listeners out there all the handlers out there um uh, interestingly enough, though, you can also do a minus equals. So if um, if you have something to where, like, maybe you want to listen for an event until some state is reached, right? Like, in your case, you're talking about your video game, right? Like, once, once, once your player dies, there's no reason for it to be listening for these various other events, right? Or, hey, while you're on level one. Yeah, that's a perfect example. You're on level one. If some something happens, then this event gets raised, you're going to respond to it with one of your handlers. If you progress to level two now, you might minus equal your level one handler, right? So it, you can minus equals, you can plus equals. You can also do an equals, but you'll blow away everything else that was set up before. So when you're doing event handlers, if you're not seeing plus equals or minus equals, it's probably not right, and you're probably going to see some bugs. 
Yeah, but it's nice too. Um, I use it for sound, so I can turn off sound, and then I just don't, you know, the, that sound system's not listening for events, and that keeps me from having to say, if sound's on, play sound all over the place. Oh, yeah, because you just raise an event when something happens, and then the sound will play if it's on. Yep. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yep, uh, so um, just to kind of recap on those event handlers, it's basically just the kind of parent class for all those, um, anytime you see that object and event args getting passed around. And that, that that's important later. We're going to end up coming back to this a little bit. All right. So we gave some examples from the .NET framework. Um, I want to talk a little bit about delegates and other languages. Yeah. So because I like JavaScript, we can talk about it there. It's so it's weird to actually have this discussion in C Sharp when I've been doing JavaScript so long that JavaScript just treats everything the same. Like it doesn't matter whether it's a string, a number a method it doesn't care so delegates in, in javascript are super easy you just pass a function in as a parameter or you can pass it in as a variable on an object it doesn't matter you can create your own object you know uh open up a new object thing do a colon function b colon function c colon function and then you know whatever's getting that can just call you know object dot c open close paren and you basically have a delegate or actually it's not even really a delegate it's just an anonymous function it has no name you can't you can't call it any other way um so in that regard it, it's not but the fact that you could pass it you can pass so the it. fact that you could do like whatever your variable was dot c but it's not a i guess it is kind of a pointer because it's pointed by reference but um yeah, I mean, it's just such a part of the language that it's you. You don't even really think about it. Yeah, you take it for granted. Yeah, I mean, all the code that you do in JavaScript, you, you're probably doing some That's why version I was kind of, of this. When you were talking about like one of your, uh, you know, declarations, how to how to set up the delegate, and I'm like, nah, you just have like you know whatever your variable is: colon, function, <laughs> space. <laughs> Yeah. Parentheses, parentheses, and that's because we are JavaScript monkeys. Now. Curly brace, <laughs> right? And you know, uh, actually, speaking of JavaScript, uh, I think that that um, basically anonymous functions are a, a huge part of the whole like jQuery revolution. And this is a, a lot of uh, a lot of the first times that people really started using, um, you know, these kind of higher order functions. And um, well, when they started, uh, when jQuery got really popular, because you would basically do like dot selector dot you know each and then you would do something in there um and you would basically just write an anonymous function and it would get called inside of that iterator so it became really big and people just take it for granted now in, in javascript it just kind of comes naturally it's shocking to me that java almost, has not brought this in considering like how pervasive well before we get into java i almost think that like in well uh, totally tangent but I almost think like the anonymous functions are a little overused in JavaScript. Oh, oh yeah. totally, totally, one hundred percent, no question. <laughs> Callback hell, quote unquote. Yeah, way it's, overused. You know, it's really interesting. I, I mean, having coded in it for so long, you definitely just find yourself doing that. I'm all sure the someone time. a lot smarter than me though can argue that no, it's done exactly the amount of times needed. Yeah, <laughs> and jQuery, yeah, it's, it absolutely brought closures to the forefront. I remember when jQuery first started getting popular, and like every single blog article that you would see in your Google Reader uh, was about closures. Yeah, and, and wrapping your mind around that the first time is definitely painful. Yeah. Um, now, I do want to talk real quick, though, seeing as how we brought up other languages with JavaScript, like events. This is where using a library really becomes important because when you start looking at how it's done, uh, depending on your browser, you'll either be calling fire event or dispatch event. Like there's still, we still have that, 
um, separation of browsers where they all do things slightly differently. So if you're not using something like jQuery or, you know, God knows one of the other umpteen thousand, like I've done Dojo, EXT, JS, they all have their own custom event system. But it's handled very much like what we're talking about in C Sharp to where you define this event and then you can raise that event and other items or objects or components or whatever can listen on those events and then they can respond to them with their own handlers, whether it be an anonymous function or whether it's some name function out there that's being passed around. So, uh, I mean, all that, it's, I find that JavaScript is closer to C Sharp in that regard than what Java is, which, I mean, we started looking before the show trying to find you know, how do they handle this? And mm-hmm. There were some pretty long articles on how they try to accomplish it, but they don't actually have anything built in for it. So, and, and I mean, we may get, we may get blasted on this. Like you're wrong in yeah. Java 8.234, you know, I, I don't know, but, um, I, I, I would, used the ask toolbar that came with Java and it said, <laughs> Oh God, don't get me started. Ask toolbar. <laughs> you know, I just got me thinking like, like what the kind of the most popular uh, higher order, or, you know, first class function or delegate or function pointer might be in a, I was thinking uh, document.onload in uh, JavaScript. Uh, that, uh, that's a great example of calling, you know, basically a, a variable or a method as a variable. Yep. And Java is weird on this uh, on this situation. So they've got this um, in in the eight. They've got this weird kind of single method interface implementation that allows them to get around not having two delegates. And they've got this thing called a method reference too, which is just kind of weird. But um, you know, when we were kind of like looking at this, um, we, we talked uh, before the show like what we would what would we do if we didn't have delegates in C sharp? And um, then we <laughs> Google like. What does Java have instead of delegates? And uh, it was basically the things, the scenarios that we'd come up with to uh, solve not having generics. And uh, it was a pitiful, sad world. Not having generics or not having delegates? Sorry, delegates. Delegates, yeah, yeah. And if uh, if C Sharp did not have them, I would just code Node.js. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's some callbacks for you. <laughs> That's wow. what I would do. <laughs> So uh, just real quick, wanted to mention that uh, this, this is kind of the first part of the show. So we talked a little bit about um, delegates, events, and the, their role in C Sharp. And also we gave some examples in other languages. All right. So with that, let's uh, you know t- take a little breather for a minute because I think it's time that we say you know um, to, to everyone that has taken the time to give us a review and, and go out and give us a rating, how much we greatly appreciate that. And uh, if you haven't already, we would love for you to do so. So, uh, Alan, it was uh, codingblocks.net slash uh, review. review. Yeah, or reviews. And, uh, okay, fine. You Somebody can do either. Check. No, you can uh, do really? either. You did yeah. both? I did. Look at that. Yeah, man. I know how to set up some redirects. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And I totally, on this on this slash review page, I totally put some experimental stuff on there that I've never messed with before. Like there's click buttons to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and share never use that? on what? LinkedIn, man. I've never coded this stuff. So I was out all over the internet grabbing this. <laughs> it's like, it, it might work. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about technology that's five or six years old, but it, much like yourself, I'm not a socialite. <laughs> How online. old is Facebook now? I don't like Facebook, but I've done a Facebook button. Well, you know, you're, you're special. <laughs> I should have made you do this. Apparently, 
So, um, at any rate, yeah, there's all that kind of stuff on there. So if you would, seriously, like we love the reviews. Like, I mean, we all are, I am in each other, dude, did you see the latest on Stitcher? So it's awesome. It gets us excited and it helps other people find it so that, you know, you are basically making the world a better programming place for you. (laughs) And look at it this way. If you share the show with your friends, then it gives you something to talk about during lunch or whenever, you know, that you can talk about like how much more right you are than we were. Yeah. Like how, how wrong was Michael when he was talking about delegates? Yeah, yeah, totally. And as a measure of that appreciation, uh, reminded, reminding you again about the uh, giveaway. So uh, leave a comment on uh, episode 24, and uh, we will send you a book. Yep. It's a first edition, so <laughs> <laughs> only edition. Uh, also, Way to belittle it. Way to belittle it. We should have mentioned before we uh, <laughs> spent some time uh, asking reviews that the episode is not actually over yet. So that was not. This is not the end of the episode. We still have some stuff we want to do. Uh, oh share yeah, with keep you guys. going. Don't hang up yet. Hopefully, <laughs> you look down and you and you saw that there was still half a bar left. Right? They were like, "Oh, they're begging again." Click. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Listen to how you really feel. Uh, all right. So now we want to talk about a delegate deep dive. Uh, it's basically uh, we want to talk about how this works under the covers. So. Who wants to dive into that? Get it rolling, Jay-Z. I I vote you, man. All right. So uh, Michael mentioned this earlier, but basically at compile time, the C-sharp compiler goes and it creates a subclass of this multicast delegate object that we talked about. And the multicast delegate object is kind of interesting. It's a class that, um, you know, we mentioned that delegates are basically um, function pointers with an iterator. And that iterator is what the multicast kind of refers to that's what the multicast delegate adds over the just the normal delegate class and um and the delegate actually is one of the few objects that derives directly from object so it's not a value type it's not a reference type it's uh it's a type of delegate so it's uh, it's really a core feature of the net framework and uh <clears throat> these delegates have kind of four methods that we wanted to mention. They only have four. Uh, one is the constructor. Wait, wait, wait. Before you go there, though, mm-hmm. I think it's important to note, though, that there's no intelligence behind this what multicast iteration. Okay, oh. yeah, that too. <laughs> but the iteration, it's literally um, first in... LIFO? First in, I don't remember if it's LIFO or whatever, but it's sequential. Like it would be FIFO. Is it FIFO? First in, first out. I think it is first in, first out, yes. So, I mean, it's literally just, hey, if you added 10, whatever order those 10 were added in is the 10 that it's going to get executed in that same exact order. All right, back to four methods constructor. Yep, well, so I was going to also add to the to the uh, multicast definition, though, that it's important to note that there's uh, it's a delegate that can have more than, according to Microsoft, a delegate that can have more than one element in its invocation list. Right, and that's where the multicast kind of um, separates from just the delegate. So um, pretty much anything you're going to do is going to end up um, extending this multicast delegate, but there's still that kind of weird separation. So it's kind of interesting. I don't know if they've got future plans for that or you know they thought maybe they would do something else and it just didn't happen, but um, either way, you're going to end up um, well, I think extending it was, multicast. It was the latter there, right? They, they originally had planned on it going one way, and then it just only ever became that one because it's been, it's been like that since – the early days a long, oh, yeah. long time ago yeah so either which way you're doing multicast delegate whether you know it or not or like it or not yeah and care? so what that means is uh no <laughs> no what that means is that when you write delegate um you don't even have a choice you know there's no way to specify one or the other you um you write a delegate or anonymous method and in the background the uh, compiler will go 
and it will create an instance of this multicast delegate object. And it's got four methods. Uh, one is a constructor, so that kind of doesn't really count. But it's got an invoke, which just executes the method. And it's also got a begin invoke and an end invoke, which is useful in like async operations where we want to kind of kick it off and then you know call some sort of callback when it's done. And so, um, and that, I wanted to do, call this out specifically because what we're talking about, like, um, what, what Java guys end up having to do, which is basically like, if you didn't have delegates, how you would handle a situation where you want to take a, um, you know, a different algorithm or a different method in this variable is you would create some sort of interface that has a method like execute. And then you would create classes, you know, called like, um, you know, add executor or multiply executor. And these would do your addition or subtraction, going back to that uh, example that um, Alan gave. And then you would have a method that takes in one of these classes with that uh, that interface. And then you would just call that very explicitly. So what that ends up meaning is you create a class for every different operation that you want to do, which is a lot of typing. And um, that's really what's happening in the background. So really this is just kind of a sugary type thing. The compiler just does that, you know, that typing for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of cool. It literally creates new classes for every one of them, all these these targets and everything else. Like, you never see it. It's just real easy for you to do. But the Java people have to type it out. Like, you know, everything that the compiler is doing for you here, they literally have to write that code to make the same thing happen. Yep. And I wanted to mention that there were four methods and there were three private fields. And uh, kind of the point I'm getting there um, is that it's really simple. There's not a whole lot going on here. So when you think about it from this direction, it, for me at least, it kind of makes things make a lot more sense. And um, those fields uh, are the target, which is basically the thing that this method is being called on, or if it's static, it'll be null. Um, there's the method pointer, which is actually like the address of the function that's going to get called. So this is like the the real deal this is like the you know that method variable that we're talking about and then there's the invocation list which is like you know what we're talking about too with the multicast delegates the list of things that this is going to happen on i did want to say though that like i guess you said something about the way java handled it a minute ago that kind of struck me as odd and i guess the only thing i wanted to say to that though is that java because they don't have delegates specifically or or something like this they get they get around it through let's just say creative uses of interfaces right yeah they've got this weird interface that can have a single method implementation um which is how they kind of get their lambdas in java 8 but i'm definitely not an expert there so but um, but even before that even before java 8 though right i mean they still they still handled it as as interfaces though yeah and that's the way i would do it too so like um in the kind of the chess example, I would have a class called the, um, or I would have an interface called I chess strategy. And then I would have a. Not if you're in Java, you wouldn't. Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Chess It'd be strategy. chess strategy impl. <laughs> no, that would be the implementation. That would be the implementation. Right. right. But, uh, so I would have a, an interface called chess strategy. And then I would have a class called like Bobby Fisher strategy. And it would, uh, you know, behave in some ways. It would basically implement that. Um, the method we'll call it execute that's defined in that interface that takes in like the game board and returns some sort of move to make. So I guess, I guess a a way to sum up that difference though would be that in, okay, if we, if we're talking specifically C sharp to, to Java, right. 
C sharp tries to give special meanings to these, but really under the covers they're just a, they're just normal types. Whereas in Java, the developer is more exposed to the fact that hey, this is just a type. Yeah, they have to type it all out. Like, it's, oh, I'm not it's talking very about, explicit. When I say type, I didn't mean typing, but I meant like they're more they're more aware of you know the fact that it's an interface and yes. the fact that it's a concrete type behind yeah. there. You know, whereas in C sharp, for example, there's this abstraction that's taking taken away from the developer, uh, him or herself, uh, you know, by use of this keyword, and then the compiler does some magic to create this uh, type that inherits from multicast delicate and and does some magic for you. It's totally a nicety. I mean, oh yeah, and imagine if um, you know thinking about link like every time you did a for each or a where or a first or default. You had to define a class with a method that took in the appropriate argument and returned the appropriate, you know, return value. It's almost like having DTOs for all the internal stuff you're doing, right? Like you create DTOs for for the way that you want to transform data coming back from a call or something. Now you got to do that for every single, you know, delegate like thing that you want to do. I mean, it's just a lot more verbose. Yeah. To so. which I say, blah. <laughs> I I just didn't want it to sound like we were. Um, bashing on it no because it's, it's just they don't have that that syntactic sugar right the, like they don't but my point is that like you can get a you, you can, can get do away it. without it you yeah. can, yes you totally it can. is it is completely possible to do away without yes. it because yes. there's nothing you know it's sugary crazy definitely. going on yeah but it's that sugar that buys you link yes so the there wouldn't be link without this like you can have lambdas in java but they're still pretty nasty and it's basically doing that whole interface trick uh, which I'm, I don't know a whole lot about, but it, it smells kind of fishy to me. Sorry for that derailment. I just uh, wanted to comment on that. Yep. Oh yeah. Also, I um, wanted to tie back to, to earlier. Um, uh, Michael mentioned um, when you you can kind of call this um, this delegate by just uh, adding a parentheses and the arguments afterwards. When you do that, the compiler actually sees it. And it swaps that um, that class that you created that it created in the background, and basically does a you know generated class dot invoke, and then passes your method, which is what you do with um, I think it's called uh, method info or method information class in C sharp, where you can kind of um, dynamically specify and then dot invoke a method. And it's basically just metadata meta- about the method, so that's the uh, the last part of the sugar there. And the uh, last part, oh no, go ahead. I oh, uh, wanted to mention we kind of uh, tied the <laughs> – this might be the only episode where we said we would get to something and we actually kind of got to it. <laughs> so pat on the back, guys. All right, and with that, we'll be wrapping up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we mentioned event handlers and uh, how, how I dislike them. And uh, what I wanted to kind of tie back there was um, the event handler is basically a class that returns void and um, – or it's you know specifies a method that returns void and takes in an object for sender and event args e. And so a lot of the kind of legacy .NET stuff you'll see, um, it's got these events like on button click or on whatever. And um, you don't see the word delegate anywhere. And it's because these are all um, deriving from this event handler situation. And what happened is in around .NET 3.5, when they added um, anonymous methods and generics, they created these two classes called Funk and Action. And these are amazing. And um, well, I know we're going to end up talking about these again in the future, but basically the difference... We're about to get funky. About to get funky. These both are heavily genericized 
methods. In fact, there's not a, uh, classes. There's not a whole lot to them other than their generics. In fact, and so what I mean by that is that Funk takes in, as simplest case, uh, you know, a type and a result. Right, so you, that'll be well, specified an in input carrots. type and a return type. There you go. Thank you. Yes. Right. Yeah. At its simplest. Right. And so what that means is I can say that my class is a func, and um, the the input type is a string, and the output is integer. And I can have a method that you know converts between them. Well, let's not say class. Let's say let's just say like you were talking within a method, and you had some variable, and that variable was a func of right. And so like the where example and link. That takes in a funk, so mm-hmm. you you know you do your little x arrow, and what what's happening in the background is this is getting cast to this funk t result, and the t in this example is going to be whatever the type of that collection is, and the result in the where example is always going to be a boolean. So in order to fulfill that kind of the promise in that signature, you say I'm taking in some sort of item in this list, and I'm returning true or false, which you know, basically meets that kind of where criteria. Okay, so so let me maybe be too verbose. <laughs> so going back to our, our calculator example that we, we did from earlier when we were talking specifically about the delegates, if we were to imagine this, if we were to reimagine this as just some variable inside of your method, right, then let's say that you had y- your uh, add variable, okay, and the type of it is uh, funk, and then in your alligators, int, comma, int, comma, int, all right? So the first two ints are inputs, and the last int you're saying is the return type, okay? Right. So so funk, int, 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 and then my variable name, add, right? And then, and then I'm going to say equals, and then in parentheses I'll say x, comma, y, because I'm going to pass those into, and then my... Um, equals then greater than yeah my goes to and then in there i could have curly braces to say return x plus y yep right and that's that's a simple example of using funk of t uh at you know in line as a variable right and now now that i have this add method or let's let me re-say that now that i have this add variable and I've declared it as a funk of T, I could then later say something like a, a console.writeline add, and then in parentheses, three comma five, yep. and it, it would return, it would, I would see it write out the number eight. Yep. Yep, totally. And, and so going to back to what he said, though, in the where clause, like in the link example, dot where, if you ever mouse over that in Visual Studio and you're not aware of what funk of T is, it's confusing. Yeah, it looks terrible. Yeah, you, you'll have no idea what you're looking at. But the important part is whatever's on the left side of your of your lambda, so like he said, X, and then you have your equal and then greater than, X is your input, right? So basically your funk of T is now, you know, open bracket or uh, open alligator, uh, let's say five, and then... Uh, let's do a comma too. So you're going to get the int, 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 same type thing that you were talking about. And and now, essentially, whatever's on the far right side of that parameter list inside your, your uh, alligators, that's always your return type. So if you look at it, all the inputs are on the left of that equals than, greater than, 
and whatever's on the right hand side is what gets returned out. And it's it, and it only makes sense if you actually understand what funk of tea is, which you know you guys just explain really well. So the next time you look in there and you see this big nasty long thing on your IntelliSense, and it's like this is it. You now know. Hey, or you're intelligent nonsense. Yeah, intelli- I, I can't. Nonsense. I can't help but think of like anytime we talk about funk of tea, though, I can't help but think of George Clinton and the Parliament funkadelic. Oh, very nice. <laughs> so, so did we mention though that like what if so so in the funk of tea you were passing in, um, you're you're saying here's the two inputs and an output, but if you didn't need an output, then that's where action of tea would come in. And right. I don't know that we really gave action of tea as much. Uh, conversation as funk of tea. Right. Well, we haven't got there yet. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, (laughs) but I'm going to skip ahead. But it's basically like the same, similar concept, except without the results. So, you know, in your, you know, that ad example that I gave, if you weren't expecting back a result, uh, maybe you wanted to say like print ad as the, as the variable. Right. And so you'd have action of uh, action and then the alligators, you know, int comma int, and then, the variable name print add, and which is a horrible name, and then uh, you know equals, and then in the curly braces or uh, in the parentheses again x comma y, and then the goes to, uh, and then the curly braces, you know, then it would actually do your console dot right line, uh, you know x plus y, in there. Yeah, and so the only difference between funk and action is that funk returns something. And then what's um, what a, the, the specific reason we wanted to call this out in, in reference to delegates and, and aside from its interactions with Link is how this is so much better than the old school event handlers. So in .NET 1.0, there was event handler, right? And it took in an object, it took in event args, and it returned void. Well, along came generics in 3.5, and suddenly uh, someone had the right idea like, oh, you know, why are we kind of tying ourselves to this you know, object casting event args garbage. Why don't we just create this function action or reuse this function action and allow go ahead and create um, different versions of function action that take up to you know, yeah, you know, a, a very large number of arguments uh, up to eighteen T's generic types and just use those instead. And what this bought us was completely strongly typed delegates. No more casting. No more event args, no more event handler. And and for anyone that wants to not think so highly of that, any time you do strongly typed, then it, it's much better to fail at compile time than it yes. is to fail at runtime. Absolutely. Pansies. So if you hear me complain about JavaScript. So <laughs> with that <laughs> Yeah, it's so the interesting thing of what they both just said is so first the the up to eighteen. What he means is when you open up that, that alligator thing after the action or the funk, that means you can do up to 18 inputs or, or 17 inputs with one return, right? Right. And what that means <clears> is that <throat> any function that you've got, just like any regular method anything that has up to 18 arguments, that is now a representative of this funk class, right? And any action that has up to 18. So, so any method that you have that returns void and takes up to 18 arguments is now an action type. You know, I've never tried this, but I wonder, like, if you're going back to, like, a, a link-type scenario, if you could ever get into a scenario where you would have, like, say, 19 or 20 
do you get a compiler? What does it do? I would does imagine it, it'd have to fail. Well, it, you could still do it, but you can't use it as a delegate. So what would happen is like if you tried to do something where you pass it in like a, you know, a for each or something like that, um, or you know, some sort of generic expression, you had 18 or more arguments, and it just wouldn't work. Because hmm. it doesn't represent a delegate at that point. It's just its own class. Well, I was thinking like where like... I would think it would fail. Yeah, at compile time. Yeah, so like if you think about that for each, uh, it takes in. Right, now I want to do some experimenting. Right. Yeah. You could. Yeah. You could definitely see it. Um. I, I think someone did online. There's a blog post we could probably link to. But uh, what this means is, uh, in practical, when I say that you know any method you have uh, that's under 18 arguments uh, can be treated as a delegate. So that means that any of these link expressions, as long as you match the right number of arguments, then uh, or right type of generic, um, I guess you call them arguments then all of a sudden you have embodied a delegate. And you don't have to use this delegate keyword anywhere. You don't have to set up any sort of handlers. It just, you got it for free. You're already an instance of funk or action as long as you stay under 18 arguments. Well, hold on. You still have handlers, but you don't have to assign any delegate things to them. You can just say handler plus equal, and then your, your funk of T or whatever it is, right? You still need the handler. Well, like in a link expression, you don't specify a handler, right? You just kind of pop your method in there. And if you've ever seen like, uh, you know, you can pass a method group in there. So you can actually pass a method name. And the reason that works is because whatever method you specified, as long as it's under 18 arguments, can act as a delegate without having to be explicitly called that or typed that. So you're talking about more lines with the link, not necessarily event handlers. Right, yeah. Okay, events are okay. kind of separate. Yeah. So. Okay, okay. I... I, I I'm with you now. So if you, what I was saying is if you are using event handlers in your code, you can actually do a plus equals and then just give it that Lambda. Right. Um, which, which is the funk of T or whatever. So that's what I was saying. What you were talking about is if you're using it elsewhere, like in a for each or whatever. Right. Then, okay. Yeah. So imagine a case where you've got like a list of state names, right? And uh, you say states dot select. And you do x arrow x dot uh, lowercase, right? So what you're doing is you're getting a lowercase um, list of states back. Well, that lowercase method uh, is defined in the C sharp framework, uh, and it takes in a string and it returns a string. And because of that, it's acting as a delegate for func t t result, where t is a string and the result is also a string. Yep. So these func actions really like open things up. And uh, pretty much killed event handlers. Yeah, they, they, well, no, not event handlers. Sorry, the event handler class. So <laughs> well, that's the one with the object and the event args. Okay, okay. I guess, like, even just, you know, as we're talking here, just doing some quick uh, Googling to see, like, uh, you know, if there are other problems, there's definitely some, you know, issues around, like, linked to SQL, but it's actually kind of interesting because I'm not finding much for, like, if I tried to do something with link that had, they would try to take in too many. And now I want to like I want to try to do some. But let's be that. clear: if you're doing more than twenty <clears throat> arguments, yeah, <laughs> or yeah. eighteen, they used to they actually upped the number. I think when they originally came out, it was like seven or something, and then uh, a later version came out and went up to eighteen. Yeah, well, I guess had what some I was thinking code. of is like: is there some magic that happens behind the scenes to like break that up for you? Well, he was saying there were hard to find classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. Yeah. I know that there's the hard to find classes. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, like, let's. I guess I, I don't even know like how I could write this example. I was trying to think of something like where maybe it was happening a little bit more dynamically. That, um, yeah, where where 
where all of those values might get passed in, but then at runtime, would it like break that up? I don't but know. you know I'm, what? I'm in thinking theory, out loud, though, and that's what. If I was writing the compiler, in theory, though, because the compiler is smart enough to do this syntactic sugar, why wouldn't you just say, "Hey, what had the longest argument list?" You know, and then I'll just create a class that has that, right? Like I don't know. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. I don't know. Hmm. You know, I was thinking the only kind of dynamic argument I, example I can think of is params, but really that just comes in as an uh, array. So. Yeah, it's an array, whatever the last Yeah, so number. that wouldn't work here. But, but, I mean, you see where I was going with that, though, right? Yep. But uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to think about that because I can't even – I'm trying to think about, like, how I could even write an example to f- see, like, what the – because I'm guessing that there has to be some kind of error, but I've just never ran into it because, like you said, if you're trying to pass in that many, then you, you have a problem. Right. Because <laughs> you're never going to maintain it anyways. <sighs> No. It's never going to make it through code review. Sounds like sounds like you need a builder pattern at that point. But so before we get into the next section, um, I, I thought about these while uh, while we were talking about all this stuff. So when would you suggest using things like event handlers? So here's a perfect example of what I'm getting at. You can go crazy with this stuff, just like in the design patterns. And I think Joe jokingly said this in one of our design patterns. Uh, podcast was, you know, um, you know when somebody picked up the design patterns book because all of a sudden you just start seeing all these patterns show up everywhere in code, right? Factory factories. Yeah, yeah. So, so here's the thing with events. Would so I, I heard an example. Somebody said something like, "Let's say that you had an order system, right? And then somebody placed an order. Okay, there's certain things that have to happen after an order is placed, like." you're going to allocate some inventory. You're going to send an email out to the customer. You're going to, um, I don't know what else, right? Like, but would you, would you go crazy with events knowing that the whole, the whole reason they are so important is because it allows you to decouple your code, right? Like really that's, that's the most important part of, of event handling is, you know, you can respond to something that is, that is, if somebody shouts out there, fire. Okay, somebody's going to go put out that fire, right? That's basically what happens in your code. When an event is raised, something responds to it. So, would you do this in something like an order system? You brought up your video game earlier. When the player dies, you respond to that event. That seems like that's a perfect example of when you would use it. You know, I actually, um, I've kind of got away from events uh, after my experiences with video games. And uh, the f- kind of funny thing about it is um, that although the you know the, the player is very much decoupled from the sound system, there's still somebody that knows a whole lot about players and sound systems and graphics and control systems. And what I found is um, that these kind of event touch points just ended up being the heart of my spaghetti code. So um, although these things were um, you know technically very separate, I'm also tying them together. So these things that are uh, have no knowledge of each other uh, suddenly are all combined, and so my problem there is that I started feeling like um, I, you know, I was abusing these events to reach all over my code base rather than going through a nice clean hierarchy. That's kind of interesting because, okay, let's take an example, um, and I think I brought this up earlier. Let's let's say that you had let's say that you had a UI that had I don't know ten ten components that showed various different pieces of information about something. Let's say it's a person, right? Um, something on that person changed, like the first name. A very elegant way of handling this is whatever the parent component is, right? The thing that that has all these other components out there, these nine or ten components on the page. It 
is what can raise events and you know um it, it's basically your event bus for the whole thing or maybe or maybe it has some sort of implementation of an event bus which you might do through a singleton or something else but it raises an event those nine or ten different ui components can now say oh wait the first name changed i need to change my stuff right that seems a lot more elegant than saying okay this thing knows about that object. It's going to go over here and change that data. Then it's going to go change this, and it's going to change this. It seems like that's a lot more elegant than than what than the alternative. You know what I'm right. saying? So, I mean, I can't think of a, th- a clean way to decouple that. If if you have like, and let's say that you don't even know what those components are going to be, maybe it's pluggable stuff, right? Like, how else would you do it? Yeah, that's a good point. I just I know that for me, like when I started kind of doing the events, I kept finding myself doing more and more and more of them until I realized that I was basically just using them as glorified go tos. But I, I do think you're right that I was keeping things separated, but it just it was allowing me to kind of jump across the the object graph in kind of a, a strange way. So it just kind of started smelling to me. But maybe that was just me kind of uh, doing bad things. Hmm. Interesting. What What are your thoughts? Like we. So we've all worked in e-commerce software. Is this something that you think you would want to do on an order system? I mean, would you want, okay, order was placed. Raise that event, order placed. All right, now it needs to go do something with inventory. Now it needs to go send an email. Now it needs to do X, Y, and Z. Would you do it there? Because typically the way you see it is order placed. All right, now it's going to just go to the next step and say, all right, deallocate some inventory. Now it's going to go to the next step and it's going to say, all right, um, send out an email. Now it's going to go do X, Y, and Z, right? Like it's usually a sequential you know, thing that you see in code. Whereas if you did the event thing, you decouple that. And then if you need to reuse that, because we've all run into this before, like something gets jacked up with an order somewhere and you need to send that email. It's all tightly coupled to something else, right? So you can't go send that email now um, without like writing code to somewhat hack into it. Whereas if you just had something that responded to an event, like, hey, this order was placed, hey, send out an email. So I'm just wondering, like, would you ever take it to that step? I've never taken events. I have on UI, but I've never done it so much server-side type stuff. Yeah, I I could definitely see, like, using kind of different event queues there and kind of saying, like, okay, order place now. Put it in the email queue, in the inventory queue, in the, uh, you know, flash a red light queue, whatever. Um, So, yeah, that's definitely uh, an an interesting use case there, and it kind of separates all those systems. And so what it means is, you know, if the email system's down, then... Um, you know, everything else kind of still keeps going until we get that back up. And by having the queue there, it kind of um, prevents the action from not happening or it saves that action. You can fill it back up, right? Like it it would be fairly trivial to do something like that at that point. Yeah. It definitely comes in and help uh, a lot of times with UIs, you know, button click type stuff. That's kind of like the prime examples of it. But yeah, e-commerce, I think that works really well too. I mean, I, I think it's one of it's those hard things. To, it's hard to think about, like, from, from an abstract like that, though, because I'm thinking, like, as, as you're talking, and I'm like, well, <clears throat> I mean, like, I, I, see where, I see where your intent is going, but then I'm like, well, then you have some kind of, like, or- event orchestrator, you know, that's managing all, all those events. And have then to it's be. like, well, you know, then it gets, like, then we go into this whole other tangent uh, of conversation, because then it's like, well, is, are you really like solving the problem that you were talking about then? Because then you still have like it's all tied together in that you know whatever that's doing that orchestration. Versus, what if you just made those each as like separate components? You know, they just ran on their own kind of schedules or you know wh- whatever. 
I don't know. It seems like that we're getting into like a really deep kind of conversation. Maybe, then. maybe not. But so, I mean, just, but I think it's helpful, right? Just because only, only from the persp- perspective like this, like you can't just schedule something because unless you do that and, and every part of the schedule starts setting up different states for these things, I guess you could do that. Right. But then you still have an orchestrator. But what I'm saying is, no, I mean, I was thinking like, like, you know, you, you could, the, the email coupling, you know, the, e- the emailing you mentioned as an example of, right, like that might be one of the events, but you could totally decouple that completely away. And like, that could be its own little job that runs on its own, you know, may- maybe it runs in batch and it just looks for, looks for orders in a particular, you know, state and then does it like, but, but you're still taking it to that step of, of abstracting. So basically what I'm saying is typically when you look at software, it's usually, it does A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? Like in that order, it, it, that's what we've mostly seen as programmers, right? And that's because that's how people think about the process when they're designing, when they're designing the software. Hey, when you do this, then this needs to happen. The next step is this. And that's usually the way you see it. It's just very sequential down the code. If you break it out into an event type um, thing to where you have, you know, before order placed, order placed, uh, uh, order inventory allocated, email sent, whatever. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, what you're describing is the same thing as an event bus, except now it's except now you're separating it out to where you have batch jobs that are going to key off some piece of data, right? Like you're going to say, okay, has the order been well, deallocated? I, I say no. this is why we're getting too specific into like one kind of example though, because like. The thing that I don't like about what you were suggesting with putting this into uh, wasn't like suggesting. A, I was asking. Okay. Well, in your example, in, in that example, then you still have the order of those of those event calls in the example that you gave is still within some other piece of code. Whereas what I was suggesting is, well, what if you broke those out? And they were intelligent enough on their own to say, these are the things, these are the orders that are in a state that I should send out this particular kind of email about. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I, th- I think like this is getting way deep into a very specific kind of use no, case. It is. It is. It's very deep if you were to actually go down it. But I was just kind of curious about like. Yeah, I think you've got a valid point there with thinking about like events and like it kind of event queuing. You know, it's a, you're talking about a system that basically deals with events, and you're you're thinking of it from like an architectural rather than kind of a programmatic view. And yeah, I think that's a, a very interesting thought. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. So we kind of talked about um, the encapsulation uh, aspect. I also wanted to mention um, uh, this is kind of a. It almost seems a little bit silly, but. Um, are event calls asynchronous? No. Yeah, I'm going with no. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing because your call, like if you think about that that method being defined in the class somewhere, it kind of gets called at you know in some different context, right? So you don't really know where that's going to happen. But yeah, the call absolutely does. You know, unless you specifically say. Well, here, know, here's to, a specific example that I was thinking of. Uh, well, not a specific the specific use case that I was thinking of. Is that in a lot of? Uh, did you say Call of Duty? In a lot of scenarios, you can actually halt the execution of that event, right? So you, you can say like, no need to pr- pro- go any further, and maybe that's on an right. exception. You stop as propagation. an example, right? Um, you know, or, or whatever your use case might be. But yep. you could spawn it off onto another thread. But yeah, same thing with kind of exceptions. You can catch it and stop the propagation. Yeah, right? but but the point though is that like like if you had 
on button click and you have five handlers, yeah, it's all five of those aren't happening right. at the same time. They're parallel. happening one after the other. Yep. And that goes back to our point about the invocation list within the multicast uh, delegate, like you know, as you as Alan said, it's just going down that list in order. There's no special, uh, you know, craziness no magic. happening. Yeah, there's, it's there's an nothing iterator. magical about what it's going, what it's doing. Yep. It's literally walking down that list. Yep. Uh, that said, though, um, delegates do factor a lot into um, like kind of the the TPL, the task parallel library, and uh, it's a big part of doing some of the kind of cool parallel parallel kind of concurrency stuff that you can do in C sharp. All right, so uh, wow, we talked a lot about delegates. Let's get. <laughs> what were some resources that we liked as we uh, we we got into it? You uh, not everyone you did, at once. You did the uh, CLR uh, VSC Sharp, right? Yes, absolutely. So that oh, was a God, fantastic we only talked about this book. book a couple times. Yes, uh, when you giving that one away? <laughs> <laughs> so that one I actually already gave away. Uh, I let someone borrow it. and I forgot to get it back when I left that job. Was this at the so. doctor's? Uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, apparently, I'm not good with physical books, so that's why I'm giving them away. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Um, but the, yeah, CLSCR, uh, C Sharp has an excellent chapter on delegates, so definitely recommend checking that. It actually has a whole separate uh, chapter just on methods, and a separate chapter on properties, and a separate chapter on fields, and it's the Bible for C Sharp. It is. Um, yeah, and we've we've definitely talked about this book before. By it, it's by uh, Jeffrey uh, Richter. Yes, I hope I pronounced that correct. Yep. Currently in its fourth edition. So it is an awesome, awesome book to have. Yeah. Also, I uh, wanted to mention another book, C Sharp in Depth, which did a really good job of, um, this is by John Ski. We've mentioned this one before too, but it did a great job of kind of running through the history of delegates and kind of like explaining some of the, the ways that kind of things started and how they ended up. And that kind of helps you understand why you'll see so many different kinds of examples on the internet. Yep. Uh, one of the resources I liked whenever I was doing this, and I think Outlaw also, mm-hmm. uh, was the uh, Plural Site course on C Sharp's Events of Delegates by Dan Wallen. It, it was excellent. Um, Waylon? Waylon Wallen? I can't remember, and he says it. Anyway, uh. I, I said it both ways, so he's covered. Uh, but it was an excellent, excellent run through. Um, he ties in some great examples. He shows you basically the evolution of delegates within C Sharp. So nice, nice resource. Yeah, we've also got a nice link to uh, MSDN, which you can find on the website. Yeah, these will all be links within the show notes. So uh, with that, let's wrap it up and get into the tip of the week. All right, so I had one, and then I decided maybe I should say another one. But I'll I'll go for the first one. So I found this – we've all used fiddles before, um, you know, a lot of JavaScript fiddles that are out there. But uh, there's .NET Fiddle.NET, if that's too much .NET for you. So the first, the first .NET, just to be clear, is spelled out. So D-O-T-N-E-T, Fiddle, and then .NET as the top-level domain. Um, great little uh, site if you want to uh, – let's say you're on your Mac and you want to write some C-sharp and see it compile and run and whatever. Uh, you can create your fiddles there. Uh, the reason why I say I had some kind of problem earlier – and I don't know if they were just doing some maintenance. I'm certainly not going to take credit for uh, bringing them down. But I was writing uh, uh, a fiddle, and uh, then suddenly things stopped working, so I wasn't sure. So I had a second tip, which is really awesome, which uh, I'll include a link to it. But um, if you are a fan of Git, and if you use Git, and uh, – 
you know, no matter what language you are coding in, there is a GitHub project for just for Git ignore for the one and only file. Uh, it has suggested um, Git ignore statements for every language, every project type that you could think of. So um, specific to Visual Studio, for example, um, there's a, a Visual Studio .git ignore that includes you know ignoring your debug folders, your release folders, your uh, you know um, thing, various third party plugins. Um, you know, NuGet packages, Resharper, things like that it is fantastic way to start your GitHub or I'm sorry, your Git repo. So uh, we'll, I'll include, uh, we'll include links to both of those in the show notes. Yep. And uh, I wanted to, to mention another podcast. I like doing that apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, I think I jumped ahead of Alan there too. Sorry. No, you go ahead. <laughs> Uh, I was just uh, doing some, some. You were so excited surfing. to talk about some other podcast. You go ahead. I, I was typing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I want to mention the Reply All podcast. Uh, this is a great podcast, and they talk about kind of like internety type stuff. It's almost like This American Life, but for um, uh, more technical people. And uh, some of the the um, episodes have been about like uh, interviewing a guy who's new to the interview and uh, internet um, swatting. You might have heard of. They've got a great interview with uh, a wiki grammar enforcer who just. Uh, so wait a minute. They interviewed like a two year old because he was new to the internet. Like no, uh, someone who'd never used the internet that's before. That's possible. <laughs> yeah, you can't find that person. It's not very many. Uh, one of my favorites is. Um, it was the int- uh, interview with the guy who uh, remember when uh, Kim Kardashian broke the internet, quote unquote. Okay. Well, they had an interview with the guy who was in charge of uh, getting that company's websites, uh, you know, web scale, so they could handle that kind of traffic when they expected it to blow up. So it's just a really good show, and uh, I think it would be good for our audience. Sounds like uh, the opposite of a first world problem if you're trying to find someone who's not an infant and new to the internet. They, yeah. they actually went to a third world country. Did they really? Yeah, I'm fairly certain. No, I, I don't, don't know. think so. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, actually well no never mind so uh, i guess uh, i'm a jerk for thinking like you whatever yeah um all right so the one that i found while i was trying to build my little course that is turning into a big course uh was there was this fantastic thing in the visual studio library gallery or whatever it's called um generic unit of work and repositories so if you've ever looked into uh, repositories for separating your concerns with your data calls, this is an excellent way of doing it. So essentially you can use one of the free tools from Entity Framework, or not from Entity Framework, I think from Microsoft for generating entity files. And then it'll set up your unit of work and your repository code for you and it's fairly easy to you use. You T4 generators? No, no, to? it's not a T4. So, well, um, you mentioned entity. the entity tool. No, so there's there's a tool that you can download um, from Microsoft that's a Visual Studio extension. And you can just right-click a project and say, hey, create entities. And then you point it at the database, and it will actually go generate all your code. It's not using a T4 template. Um, or at least I don't know if it is because it's a it's an extension. But then after that, it will they've created these nice repositories and units of work that you can literally just hook up. Um, they have iRepository asyncs, they have regular repository, they have services. Dude, it's uh it's pretty amazing the framework that this guy set up, and I think his name. Uh, I can't think of it right now. I, it was like Lee Long or something like that, but. Uh, <laughs> 
I'll have to. I'll have to. F- well, I hope you're right. Otherwise, well, hold on. I, I will find it real quick. <laughs> Random name guess. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, and I will find him real quick. <laughs> All right. So uh, while he's doing that, Long uh, Lee, Long Lee. Well, he was so close. <laughs> I, I, I was reversed, right? So, um, but no, this guy put it together, and it's absolutely killer. All right. Uh, so uh, hopefully you like the show. This episode we talked about uh, delegates and events, and a uh, little bit about Link and how it all works underneath the hood. So uh, hope you liked it, and uh, yeah. All right, so be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And uh, like we said before, uh, be sure to give us a review. We do greatly appreciate that. And contact us with a question or a topic. We definitely love getting the emails about topics. Leave your name and preferred method of shout-out, website, Twitter, whatever, and we'll mention you on the podcast. And visit us at codingblocks.net, www.codingblocks.net, where you can find your show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And Such this, your feedback to <laughs> This particular episode will Race be condition. codingblocks.net slash episode 24. Yep, and uh, send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at codingblocks.net.